0: My name is Hannah. Um, I have been at Coastal for about 10 years now, been on staff for five. Obviously, I'm the worship leader, and they keep me around until they can find somebody better. I'm training a few that are going to pass me in Jesus' name. Then I'm just going to be, what's the, uh, Darlene Check. Give me some that pass me. That's what I want. That's the legacy I want to leave. But anyway, welcome to our third part of the series, Heaven. If this is your first time in a service with us, I would strongly encourage you to jump on our website at CoastalFamilyChurch.com and uh, get those last two weeks of podcasts. Pastor Stephen covered so much information that there is no way I will be able to cover today. But you will need it to understand where we're going. We're going to go a little further today than we have in the past. It's going to be a little bit of a scripture marathon But uh, I think you guys are ready for it. He opened that first week with Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, and he said this, that he has planted eternity in the human heart. Carson's ready for me today. He's planted eternity in the human heart. And what this means when he says this is, you see it actually so evident this week, is in our heart is planted uh, a hope of a time when we're not suffering from the effects of of sin and the curse on this earth. Today you saw it this past week with the hurricane. You know, there was a destruction that came. But deep inside of all of us is actually a longing for something better than that. And that's what the scripture is saying. And then week two he went and he kinda gave us the most amazing overview of heaven and hell and he, he treated himself as a tour guide or a, a travel agent. And he was helping us determine our destination. You know, as as humans, we have two destinations that are, uh, you know, an opportunity for either after this life. And he outlined the, the heaven and hell and why we would want to pick one, not the other. Today, I'm going to actually answer the question of what will eternity be like for the believer? So today, I'm going to assume that you took the advice of the tour guide and that we're choosing heaven. If not, you find us after church, and we're going to help you with that, what's most exciting decision you'll ever make. But I'm going to answer, what will eternity be like for the believer? Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 1. Everything I'm doing today is going to be in the new living, to keep it simple for you. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven and not things of earth. C.S. Lewis said something that I love. It said, The Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought the most of the next. And unfortunately, in, in our time in history, it seems like the topic of heaven has been largely neglected, and especially in church. If I were to do a poll this morning... Uh, I think that very few of you have probably ever heard a full series or a, an in depth message on heaven. Now, many of us have heard uh, Turner Burn and Hellfire and Brimstone and all of those messages on hell. But as far as a strong theology on heaven, as I thought back, and I have 33 years almost of strong indoctrination, and uh, I can only think about heaven in the terms of songs. You guys all know we sing this one every time we have a throwback I'll fly away, oh glory. I'll fly away, and then when we were um, when we were in high school, we were nerds. I went to Christian school, uh, very dorky. But we used to sing this one called "Looking for a City." You guys, anybody know "Looking for a City"? Oh, yes, we're looking for a city where we'll never die. Nobody knows that one. That's a shame. You don't even have that. That's actually one of the best theologically written songs about heaven that I read when I was reading through them. How about um, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus' will. There we go. They know that one. How about Beulah Land, the most iconic funeral song known to mankind? How many You could probably count more funerals that you've been to where they didn't sing Beulah Land than ones where they did. But really, most of our theology comes from songs. I mean, I can't ever think of a time, and I went to Bible school. I have a minor in religion, and not one time have I ever heard a full-length message on heaven. And I think one of the reasons we do this is because we take uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10, a little bit out of context, because it says this. It says, let me find it in my notes. "'No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared.'" For those who love him. And we kind of stop short there and we think, well, it says that we can't imagine it. So we just don't try to. But what I love is actually in verse 10, if you keep going, it says, But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. So today, I'm going to take kind of a more nuts and bolts approach to this message. I don't typically teach this way, but I want you to see something that I think most of us have not ever had the privilege of seeing about God's ultimate plan for us in heaven. But I'm going to actually leave you with a couple questions today, too, because I don't want you to stop here. There's so much about heaven and, and the scope of life after this life that I could never cover that we could never cover in a four-week series. We were just actually sitting in the back talking about some of the things that we've had to intentionally exclude because there's no way we can cover it. But we want to leave you with questions. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you a couple of things that you can look into further. Um, one of the first ones is there's a ton of scriptures in Isaiah, chapters 65 and 66. It's completely prophetic about the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, also, Jesus in the Gospels. You can find topics about heaven there. Paul's writings are filled with them. I'm going to use a bunch of those today so you can write those references down. And then also Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the end of the book. Something else that you might want to get your hands on is one of these. I had to borrow it because I have the ebook book version. Um, I started reading this about two years ago, and uh, I quit because <laughs> look at that thing. And about in January, I kind of picked it up again because There's so many uh, misconceptions about heaven. You know, we hear people say things all the time. And Here's just a, for instance, that they lost a loved one. I get what you're saying. But you didn't lose them. They're not lost. We know where they are for the most part. In most cases, we know they are. But we don't, we kind of use verbiage because we say that they've become angels or that God needed them in heaven. And there's so much of our theology and our doctrine that's actually not scriptural. And so we're going to actually use Scripture today, and I'm going to hope to show you some things. But I hope I'll leave you with a couple of questions, too, because I want you to look further into it yourself. Because Something I know that a deeper understanding of heaven is going to give you a much higher perspective on this earth. So one of the first things I want you to understand and that we misunderstand is kind of the timeline of events after our death. You see, death is actually just a temporary separation of our body and our spirit. It's temporary so our spirit goes into what is known as intermediate state or into present heaven. And our body goes down into the grave awaiting our resurrection. And I'm gonna, I know I'm going to blow your mind a little bit. Just stand with me. I got scripture for all of it. To understand this, though, you have to understand resurrection. Um, it's a doctrine that we actually have in our statement of faith that we believe in the resurrection of the dead. But most of us are only familiar with Jesus' resurrection. We celebrate that every uh, Easter, his death, burial, and his resurrection, but his death, burial, and resurrection was just the first installment in a greater plan, and I want to help you to see that today. See, Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection brought back our spiritual access to God. He only he, he went back and gave us access to God, and as believers, that gets us back so many kingdom principles, which is why we are singing things like, as it is in heaven, so is it is, is in me, and why we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But that's actually only a reality for a believer. We still live in a world that is broken by the curse. And so we actually, you know, use the scripture from 2 Corinthians 5.21, a lot For God made Christ who never sinned to be this offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So that's what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection did for us. It made our spirit man right with Christ. But as humans, we're more than just a spirit. Go with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to take you back to the beginning. I'm going to start in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust, of the ground. This is your body. And he breathed the breath of life into your nostrils, your spirit, and the man became a living person. You see, the essence of our humanity is that we're a spirit joined with a body. And there's a common misconception among believers. Actually, the, the study that I read showed that of American Christians who believe in the resurrection of the dead, two thirds believe that we will not have bodies in heaven. Most people believe that heaven is a disembodied spiritual state. And that's actually not what Scripture shows us. Now, when you're in the temporary place before the resurrection of the dead, that is possible because your spirit man has gone to heaven, but your body is still here on the earth. And what we know about that is somewhat limited. You know, we can, sh- we can read in Scripture where, Uh, people where Jesus showed us into the, he told a story Pastor Stephen told last week where we were able to see two men in heaven and they actually recognized one another. So they had some type of bodily state. One said he had a finger, but as to what that is, we're not sure because our body has not been resurrected. But the essence of our humanity is that we are a spirit joined with a body. Jesus redeemed our spirits to qualify our bodies for a final installment of the resurrection. And this is the physical part. I want want you to turn with me to Romans 8, chapter 19 and 25. You guys doing all right? I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. Just write it down and go back this week. It says, For all creation, humans and the earth, is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, and we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. So, Scripture is very clear that the Holy Spirit within us was actually just the beginning of the redemptive work of Christ, there's still an eager expectation for the believer and for the earth to be completely free from sin and death. Now, that could kind of pose some interesting questions for you because you're like, well, we teach that we are free from that. And as believers, we are, but we still live in a world that is cursed. And that's what the scripture is saying, that you do not live under the curse, but you live in a world that is still experiencing the curse. If you didn't live in a world that was cursed, there would have been no hurricane. Uh, because that is death and destruction, and that is not from God, according to Scripture. But we do still live in that. And as believers, we actually step into the place where we say that, you know, nothing, no harm can come nigh our dwelling because of our relationship and the spiritual access that Jesus Christ got back for us. But at this point, we do still live in a broken and groaning world waiting to be restored. So when does this happen? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. This is one you want to go back and read. I'm not going to read the whole. It's the whole chapter, and I can't do it all today. I'm going to start in verse 20. It says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection of the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because all belong to Adam, Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I want to show you a really basic timeline. Now, don't get all super theologically with on me with this one. Go ahead and throw that out there, Carson. This timeline that we have. You guys see that? Is it big enough? Now, there's a lot of things that we intentionally left out of this because we're not going to talk about any end time events today. So, if you're upset because we skipped the rapture and the tribulation and the millennial reign of Christ and the judgments and all of that, it was on purpose. Now, that is something that's kind of stirring in Pastor Stephen's heart, and that's a direction we may go. But for the purpose of a four week study, there was no way that we could actually get there. But here's what I want you to see we're over here on the, floor, the far left and the present earth, and we still have our body and our spirit because we're living. Um, people who have gone on, you can actually see that their body has gone to the grave, but their spirit has gone into present heaven. Now, all this is just an intermediate state. It's temporary while the plan of God, the ultimate plan of God is being fulfilled. The ultimate plan of God is all the way over here to the far right after the return of Christ and our bodily resurrection and a million of those other end time things. We're going to move in to the new heaven and the new earth where our body and our spirit are rejoined. So, the first thing I kind of want you to see and understand is that heaven is not disembodiment in a spiritual realm where we're walking around on clouds all day. Here's a quote. It says, resurrected bodies are not intended to float in space or flip from cloud to cloud. They call for a new earth on which to live and to work, glorifying God. The doctrine of resurrection of the body, in fact, makes no sense apart from the doctrine of the new earth. So this is we're going to spend some of our time today on the doctrine of the new earth. And here's some things that I think you should know. The first thing you have to understand is that continuity is critical. And what do I mean by that? I mean, who I am today will be who I am on the new earth. You see, God does not scrap his original creation and start over. That's never been his plan. His plan has always been to redeem back and to restore his creation. And we see that with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but we forget that that's just the first installment In his plan, you can kind of see this where he does it. It's hard to imagine how something can be done away with, but not be done away with. But put it into this perspective: how many of you remember your born-again experience? Are you different, significantly different than you were on that day? Are you the same person? So there's a transformation that happened within you, but you did not lose your identity and that transformation. How about um, caterpillars and butterflies? You guys are all familiar with that. The ca- caterpillar, because he went into the cocoon, cocoon, did not cease to exist. He was transformed into the butterfly. The caterpillar is not dead and the butterfly is living. The caterpillar became the butterfly. And that's something that you have to understand to to understand life on the new earth and the continuity of who we are and who we will be. Because we've we've made people afraid, thinking that they're just going to, be in this earth and have no identity and know no one. And we're going to uh, float around on clouds singing, holy, holy, holy. And it's so far from the truth. Go with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one. Are you still in 15 or did I make you change? You're there? You're still there. Go to 51 through 53. This whole chapter is about it, but I'm just going to pick a little bit through it. It says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret We will not all die, but we will be transformed. It will happen in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. It does not just say that the mortal must be transformed into immortal. It says that mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. There is a resurrection of your body. And we actually can see this uh, in Jesus' resurrection. He came to earth for 40 days after his death, burial, and resurrection. And we can actually glean so much from that about what our life will be like as a resurrected human being. I love one of the things he said in Luke 24, 39. He said, I am not a ghost. It's one of the first things that he said to his disciples, on the road to Emmaus, he was walking with two men. And it actually says God prevented them from recognizing him. Now, they knew he was a man because they saw him. It says that he walked on Emmaus Road. He didn't float Emmaus Road. Um, And he he told them the stories, and he unfolded the, the scriptures to him so they could clearly hear his normal voice. And it says at the end that suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him at the point where they were breaking bread so he could eat. Uh, In John 20, Mary called him sir when she assumed he was the gardener. So to Mary, he obviously had the appearance of a man. In that culture, women did not make eye contact with men that they didn't know. And so she, thinking Jesus was dead, would not lift up her eyes to look and see. But when he he called her name, she looked up and immediately recognized him as Jesus. His body was recognizable. In another uh, story in John 21, he stood on the shore he called to the disciples, he started a fire, and he cooked some fish. Seems pretty normal to me. Now, the only cool one that we do have is there is one story in his resurrected body where he actually materializes. He's, the disciples are in a room with the doors shut and locked, and he appears. So he either went through the wall or something. We don't know that our, that our resurrection body will have that ability, but it's fun, potentially, that it would. You can sneak up on people in your resurrection body. Continuity also goes to our relationships. If you read Scripture of Jesus 40 days, and I think this is so important for people because if we're afraid that our relationships are not going to have mattered in heaven. But these Scriptures, if you study them, indicate that Jesus' relationships picked right back up where they left off. He did not lose his history, his appearance, his memories. And even there are some Scriptures that point to the fact that our interests and our skills will go with us. We don't lose who we are. We don't lose our relationships. We don't lose. Now, there are some things that I can't understand. If there were bad experiences in your life, I don't know what they're going to look like in heaven. I don't know if God's going to give you the ability to uh, just the flooding of love and the ability to understand your situation in a place where you can process it. But we don't necessarily lose who we were. We are transformed into another version of ourselves, a better version and this is true of the new earth, you see. The new earth is the final state of redeemed humanity. See, God's ultimate purpose, even with Jesus, to restore the kingdom of God on earth. And we can see this in Hebrews 11, 13 and 16. This is, Hebrews 11 is the hall of fame of faith. If many of you were with us when we did um, the, the giant series, running with the giants, right? Um, this is where we kind of got our scripture from of Old Testament people who walked the walk of faith. And this is actually talking about them. It says all these people still died believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city you see, Old Testament believers understood something that I think we've lost because of the effects of humanism on our culture. They were looking for an actual place with an actual city that they would rule on with, uh, with actual bodies and that Christ would be the ultimate ruler on that earth. Another uh, quote that I love, it says, In his redemptive activity, God does not destroy the works of his hands, but he cleanses them from sin and perfects them so that they may finally reach the goal for which he created them. Acts 3.21, just want you to see that heaven is re- that earth is restored. For he, and we're talking about Jesus, must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. And this is why Pastor Stephen used that quote last week that I loved so much. It says, you don't need to look up. You simply need to look around you and imagine what all this would be like without sin and death and suffering and corruption. Carson, can you find Revelation 21 for me? I want to read with you the first part because I want you to kind of just grasp there's, there's two more full chapters of this. Says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Or been transformed, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or sorrow, or crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. You see, God's ultimate purpose was to restore it and to buy it back, and to renew it. Another thing I want to leave you with kind of actually is a question. So I've kind of given you a little bit of of footing for your body and for the resurrection of your body in the new earth, but here's a kind of a question I want to leave you with, and I'm going to leave you the, the references too, but I'm not going to answer it. What about our deeds? Do they follow us? There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, Verse 58 says, So my dear brothers and sisters, in light of our eternal resurrection, is what he's talking about, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is useless. There's two more scriptures I want to give you, though, and I want you to look at it this week. The first one is Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. The other is 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15, because I don't want to just sell you on the greatness of heaven. I really don't. I want you to kind of look at your life today, and I want you to, uh, in light of what we know about heaven, and I want you to think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth. You know, I think the enemy has come on some levels to distract us, especially in our culture, Satan wants nothing more than for us to not think about heaven. Revelation thirteen six tells us this. It says, and he, and we're talking about Satan, spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. You see, Satan is trying to distract us with everything in him because he knows if he can make us think that this is all there is to life, then we will forget to invest in the things that matter. We'll forget that our deeds potentially matter and that they go with us. He's trying to convince us that today is all that matters. Actually, I don't have my phone with me, do I? I didn't bring that. I had a scripture sent to me, or a a thing sent to me this morning, and it was talking about, I hope I can relate it to you, but it was talking about um, many of you guys have been to a circus or you've seen a circus, and uh, you see the handler and the lion, and What you see there is he doesn't just have a whip in his hand. You ever seen him? He's carrying a stool too. And you wonder why he's carrying a stool? Like why would the trainer need a stool when he has a whip? Well, the stool is to distract the lion. And the enemy in our lives is actually symbolic of the trainer because he knows that we have the lion of Judah and all the power of God living on the inside of us. And so he's trying to distract us with a stool because he knows that if we understand the realities of heaven, it would dramatically change the way we live our life today. I want to read something to you from this book, if I may. It comes from a story that C.S. Lewis wrote. It's The Silver Chair. It's part of the Narnia series. It says this, In the silver chair, Puddlegum, Jill and Eustace are captured in a sunless underground world by an evil witch who calls herself the queen of the underworld. The witch claims that her prisoner's memories of the overworld, Narnia, are but figments of their imagination. She laughs condescendingly at the child's game of pretending that there's a world above and a great ruler of the world. When they speak of the sun that's visible in the world above, she asks them what a sun is. Groping for words, they compare it to a giant lamp. She replies, when you try to think out clearly what this sun must be, you cannot tell me. You can only tell me it is like the lamp. Your sun is a dream, and there is nothing in that dream that was not copied from the lamp. When they speak of Aslan the lion, king of Narnia, she says, they have seen cats and have merely projected those images into the make believe notion of a giant cat. And they begin to waver. The queen, who hates Aslan and wishes to conquer Narnia, tries to deceive them into thinking that whatever they cannot perceive with their senses must be imaginary, which is the essence of naturalism. The longer they are unable to see the world they remember, the more they lose sight of it. She says to them hypnotically, There never was any world but mine. And they repeat after her, abandoning reason, parroting her deceptions. Then she coos softly. There is no Narnia, no overworld, no sky, no sun, no Aslan. This illustrates Satan's power to mold our weak minds as we are trapped in a dark, fallen world. We're prone to deny the great realities of God in heaven, which can no longer be seen because of the curse. So more than anything today, I want to give you some footing, maybe for understanding heaven, because I think it's something that we've lost so much in our culture I think we've we've forgotten that this is not all there is to this life that there is so much beyond this that have you ever been sitting somewhere uh maybe at Christmas with your children or or at a game and you thought to yourself how could it get any better than this this is as good as it gets but this is only a shadow of as good as it gets The next life, actually, you know, and I know it's so hard for us to grasp eternity with our finite minds, but this is just the seed and the beginning. This is just the shadow and the broken version of all that's going to be restored when we get to heaven. So ask yourself today, has the curse and the deception of Satan blinded your eyes a little to what really matters? I had to ask myself Because it's so easy to be distracted. But I remember the old ladies, and, you know, I think somewhat on a religious note, we kind of tune them out because there were so many of their habits that were weird. So many of them. But they had something. A lot of you guys are chuckling because you remember them. But they had something that I think we've lost, and that's a hope of heaven. And that hope drove them to live their lives on earth differently, And I hope today as you leave, maybe, you know, some of that hope can go with you. If you have any questions about it, we're going to be here. You know, there's some resources we can get into your hands. But don't be deceived by the enemy's plot to make you believe that this is all there is. Because there's so much more to this life and the life to come and the new earth. Amen. (laughs)